We're going to read from the Bible now. Uh, Don't worry if you haven't got your Bible in front of you. The words are going to come up on the screen. We're continuing our series uh, called The Beauty of Money. And today we're just going to read a very few short verses from the book of 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May God speak to us through his word. And as we begin this morning, let me ask you a few questions, three rhetorical questions, not looking for you actually to answer, but in your head, you might like to answer. Three scenarios. Number one, you hear that some friends of yours go to a restaurant up in town You've never been to this restaurant, but you know it looks pretty pricey. Which of the following is likely to be the closest to your initial reaction? Is it A, you think about how lovely it is that they've got the chance to celebrate? Is it B, you think that that's not a very good use of their money? Is it C, you think, well, I could never afford to do that, so neither should they? Scenario two. You get a new coat, and a friend compliments you on that coat. Is your initial reaction more likely to be A, to simply say thank you and comment that you're really pleased with it? Is it B, to immediately start talking about how much of a bargain that coat was, even though they didn't ask you anything about the money? Or is it C, feel a mixture of being flattered but also slightly embarrassed that someone spotted that you've been spending money on clothes. Question three. You see a for sale sign outside your neighbor's house. Do you, A, feel a mixture of joy and sadness? Sadness because you're saying goodbye to them and joy because you wonder who your new neighbors will be. Do you, B, immediately click on right move to find out how much the house is going for so you get an idea of how much your house might be worth? Or do you see, immediately click on to right move, not to look at the price, but so that you can look at the photos and then spend hours wishing that your house was as nice as that inside? Well, as we say, today we're continuing our series throughout February, looking at the whole huge subject of money. And we've called it the beauty of money. You'll see these cards in your outlook. Because there is a beauty to it that can transfix and can destroy us. There's a seductive beauty to money that can do us harm. But there's also a beauty to it with which we can do immense good. And so today as we begin, I wonder, would you consider the rhetorical question... Would you consider yourself as someone who is good with money? 
Many of us, if we're honest, whether we're Christians here today or not, whether we're regulars at Riverside or not, many of us struggle with money. That's why we've produced these cards. Use them to invite friends along because we all grapple with how we're good with money. But the Bible's got loads of things to say on it. It's estimated that over a quarter of Jesus' teaching is about money. Far more than about hell or relationships or sex or the things we often talk about. But it's all so much emphasis on money because the Bible knows the way we handle money is a big issue. And in truth, it's more about our hearts than it is about our handling of it. The Bible writers know that the reason we so often struggle with money, the reason it's so frequently mentioned, is because it does things inside us. So just before the reading that Sarah read, there's some verses. Let me read to you them. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Just to want to get rich does that. It goes on, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not about money, it's about the love of it, wanting to get rich, being eager for it. In other words, it's about our hearts. And if we're honest, churches can often steer clear of the subject because it's a little bit awkward. We don't talk much about it at Riverside, but throughout February, we're wanting to do so because it's so important to all of us. And today, we're going to simply ask the question, how to get really rich? And in these verses that Sarah read to us, there are three perspectives that I think will immensely help us. And the first is this. There's first an insight into how not to get rich. I wonder if you've heard this joke. An old man was on his deathbed and wanted to be buried with his money. So he called his priest, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. And he said to them, here's 30,000 pounds cash to be held by each of you. And I trust you to put this in my coffin when I die so that I can take all my money with me. At the funeral, each man put an envelope in the coffin. Riding away afterwards, the priest suddenly burst into tears and confessed I only put 20,000 pounds in the envelope because I needed 10,000 pounds to repair the church roof. Well, since we're confiding in each other, said the doctor, I only put 10,000 pounds in the envelope because we needed a new x-ray machine at the hospital and, so we need, and it cost 20,000 pounds. The lawyer was aghast. I'm ashamed of both of you, he said. I want it to be known that when I put my envelope in that coffin, I enclosed a check for the full amount. We live in the world in which money is a god. A few years ago, a survey was done in which a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of jobs and a variety of careers and a variety of incomes were asked, how much do you need to live? And what was fascinating from this survey was the overwhelming results from all these people was about 10% more than I have now regardless of how much they actually had. Money's a big deal. It makes the world go round, doesn't it? I love this quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Money doesn't make you happy. I have $50 million, but I was just as happy when I had $48 million. Well, this passage has some hard-hitting truths for us. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, helping him to understand about what authentic Christian living, authentic Christian leadership, what authentic Christian practice looks like and belief. And he concludes this letter all with his emphasis on the dangerous, seductive beauty of money. And those words are striking, aren't they? Command those who are rich in this present world. Now I wonder, do you consider yourself rich? Did you know that if you earn the average salary, the average UK salary, you are in the top 1% of richest people on the planet? If you have a full-time job on the minimum wage in the UK, you are in the top 7% of the world's richest people. Like it or not, we are rich, whether you feel it and your own circumstances feel it at the moment. And so, says Paul, for those of us who are rich, watch out. Why? Because there's a contrast between two places to put your hope. To put your hope in money, in wealth, or to put your hope in God. So can I ask you, where is your hope? What do you rely on? What do you trust in? Is it in wealth or is it in God? Now, this is not always easy to diagnose, is it? Because I would guess, if we were honest, in the room right now, there would some of us would seem to be pretty good with money. We're well organized, we're well planned, we're budgets are all sorted, everything's hunky-dory. Others of us wouldn't have the faintest idea what's going on with our bank balance. But diagnosing the heart behind that is not always key. Some who are so well organized are so well organized because their hope is in wealth. Spend all their money, trying, all their time trying to work out how much they've got and so on. In other words, they think a little bit too much about money. Others, however, are so well organized precisely so they can do good with that money. In other words, their heart is not in it. It's not where their hope is. It's just a tool. Others of us don't think we're well organized. And for some of us, that's because we're not bothered at all about money. Others of us, though, have never had to be without, and so therefore there's a trust in money, and that's the reason behind our disorganization. The heart is not always easy to see. But in these verses, Paul makes it very clear. Don't put your hope in wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain. Money will let you down. I love this campaign a few years ago from the clothes company, No Fear. Do you remember that extreme sports company? He who dies with the most toys still dies. They're one minute, gone the next. Like that man in that story, we can't take it with us. Or in the words of G.K. Chesterton, to be clever enough to get all the money, one must be stupid enough to want it. I don't know if you heard of the story of the Austrian businessman Karl Rabider a few years ago. Built a very successful business, three million pound fortune, but he realized that this was really making him unhappy and so sold everything he had. He said these words, 
I had the feeling I was working as a slave for things that I did not wish for or need. I have the feeling there are a lot of people doing the same. So can I ask you, can I ask me, where is our hope? Is it in wealth or is it in God? A surefire way not to get rich, says Paul, is to put your hope in wealth. So that's the first aspect. But the second perspective then is, well, how then to get really rich? If it isn't hoping in wealth, if it's not trusting in money, well, what is the way to get rich? And this passage has two surprises, two things for us, but the first is surprising. Look again. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The first way to be really rich, says Paul, is to enjoy money as a gift from God. The truth is some of us have grown up in a culture in which we sort of feel a bit dirty about money, as though it's a necessary evil. And that sort of approach seems good and moral on the surface, but I'm not convinced you find it in the pages of the Bible. Psalm 24 begins, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Those verses we read earlier, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's wanting to get rich that's the problem. It's being eager for it. In other words, it's not money that's the problem, it's our hearts. And as these verses say, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, enjoy it as gift. Do we believe this? You see, there's the potential to have a sort of what you might call an unhealthy asceticism in which we scorn any good things out of apparent devotion to God, but often revealing a jealousy of others or a view of God that is distorted. Let me give you an example. Imagine, will you, you give me a gift at Christmas and I immediately say no thanks and give it back. How do you feel then? Rather than me being bold over and saying, wow, thank you for your generosity. It's a dreadful way to treat the giver. Now, sure, it's good to be willing to share, and we'll get there in a minute. But not accepting it as gift from a gracious, kind, generous God is not the view of the Scriptures. The Bible portrays God as generous, lavish. We read it earlier. Pouring out blessing on us. Giving good things to his children. That's why in the story of the woman who pours out that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, the disciples all criticize, no, this could be given to the poor. No, 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 no. And Jesus says, let her. Because Jesus knows the heart. It's Not money that's the issue, it's our hearts that are key. So can I say for some of us, we may need to simply change our mind and say this is gift. And whether you have a lot or have little, whether you would consider yourself rich or poor, there is a freedom 
to know that it is from God, the little we have. And therefore we can choose to do with it what God would want us to do. Which leads us on to this second perspective. Enjoy it as gift. But then also, verse 18, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Do you see those two commands? Command them not to put their health in, hope in wealth and command them to do good with it. Generosity is a key distinctive of Christians down through the ages. And that's why through February, as part of this series, we're giving an opportunity for everyone who's part of Riverside to take part in the giving review. Now, can we just pause for a moment? I want to slightly step out of the talk, as it were, and just say a few comments about the giving review. After the service, as you head out there, you'll see a table to your left for where some of the finance team are sitting there. And throughout February, there's an opportunity for all of us to sit with them to chat about our own giving. Now, if you're here for the first time today, if you're new to Riverside, it's brilliant that you're here, but this bit isn't really for you, okay? We're just thrilled you're here. It's great to have you here. If you're wondering about getting plugged into Riverside, Sarah's already mentioned it. We're doing something called Belonging to Riverside at the end of the month. There's these flyers on the welcome point on your way out. It's the 29th of February. A great way to understand what Riverside's about and what it means to be a part of it. But obviously, if you do want to get stuck into Riverside, then giving is an important part of that. But if you're new here today, that bit's not for you, okay? Unless you particularly want to. But if you would call Riverside your church, we would love to invite you to take part in the giving review. The finance team are friendly. There's no judging there. Don't worry about it. And it's simply an opportunity for all of us to simply process, to review details, to change things. Uh, you'll see on the back of your outlook a little note there about gift aid forms. We need to do gift aid forms. And, and actually, if you've, even if you've got a gift aid form, we'd love you to do a new one because there's some other details that are needed. Whether you give by standing order, through the basket, whatever, please do do that. But there might be that just maybe there's one person here today who you know you're part of Riverside, but you're not currently involved through giving. And deep down, you, you want to, but you've kind of never got round to it, or you're not in control of things, or you're just not sure. We'd love you to just consider giving something, starting somewhere. Some of us are embarrassed about how little we feel we can do, or whatever. Don't worry. And we know this is a bit awkward, hashtag awkward, talking about this. But we have a hunch that there are some people who want to, but for whatever reason, either they feel a bit awkward, not sure how to do it, whatever. Can I encourage you? Why don't you consider during February, maybe you'd like to start giving something. There's this form, how to give regularly. If you don't want to chat to somebody, to simply do this on your own, feel free to take that. Why? Because generosity is a key distinctive of what it means to follow Christ. With all of life, not just money. And you've seen over this last year, Riverside has grown. Your testimony to that. But as you'll see on the back of, uh, of Outlook, we do need another couple of grand per month to sustain this and, and, and then build on that on top of that. To see more and more lives changed by God's grace. That's what it's at, all about. 
A number of years ago, a letter was found that revealed some interesting things about the earliest Christians. It was a letter from second century Rome. No one knows who wrote the letter, but it was probably written to a man named Diognetus. Now, Diognetus was famous because he was tutor to the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, whose name you may well have heard of. And it's an important letter because it shows how the earliest Christians lived. It was all about their beliefs, their practices of this new group that were kind of starting out in the Roman Empire. And in it, we read these words about the earliest Christians. Stunning words. They share their table with all, but not their bed with all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty. And one author commenting on that letter said this, Unlike their neighbors, Christians were promiscuous with their money, not their bodies. They shared their possessions in a proportion and with a joy that the surrounding culture had never seen. That's a provocative question, isn't it? Are we promiscuous with our money? Wow, what a concept. Why? Because it's all gift from God anyway. God himself is generous. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not ours. And therefore there's a freedom to enjoy it as gift and to freely be generous with it. After all, God's been very generous with us by giving his son. So how not to get rich? How to get really rich? But there's a final perspective as I come to a close and it's this. How to get rich forever. Because the problem, of course, with money is how uncertain, how temporary, how fickle it is. Even on a banknote, if you look carefully, what does it say? I promise to pay the bearer the sum of five pounds or whatever it is. In other words, that paper itself is worthless. It's what's behind it that's key. It's a guarantee of something, a transaction, and that's just the problem. The value of money changes, doesn't it? During the recession in 2008, do you remember, uh, somebody very cleverly worked out what money would have been worth if you'd have invested in certain ways a year previously. And he came up with this. So in 2006, if you'd purchased £1,000 worth of shares in the insurance company AIG, in 2008, you would have had £33 left. If in 2006 you'd have invested in £1,000 shares in Lehman Brothers, in 2008 you'd have had precisely zero. If, however, you'd have purchased £1,000 of beer in 2006, drunk all the beer and then turned in the aluminium cans for recycling, you'd have had £214. Money is temporary, and the value of it changes depending on where you live in the country, depending on where you live in the planet. There is a better way, says Paul, verse 19, by enjoying it as gift and by being generous with it, in this way you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, Paul says there's the possibility of treasure that lasts. There's a pension plan that doesn't change depending on the price of oil. 
I don't know if you've heard of the artist David Cho, as I come to a close. David Cho is a graffiti artist in America. And a few years ago, a little-known company called Facebook asked him to do some artwork on the side of their new offices. And in exchange for this graffiti, this art, he was offered either a few thousand dollars up front or some shares. His choice? Payment now or the potential payment in the future? He decided to take the shares. Now those shares he took are worth $200 million. That's a wise choice right there. He chose lasting potential over comfort now. Of course, the difference, according to Paul, is there is a difference between the Facebook potential and the guarantee of the coming age, says Paul. There is a way of using our money now that will echo into eternity. By investing well in God's kingdom now, it will change lives for eternity, says Paul. That's true treasure. That lives will be changed by the gifts that God has given us that we freely are generous with. That's a lasting effect. That's a wise choice with our money, says Paul. That we might be people involved in helping others and in trusting ourselves in life that is truly, certain, sure life. Why? Because we respond to the generous God who gave himself for us all, who didn't hold back but lavishly, generously said, here I am for you, broken, poured out, so that you might truly live. May we be people who respond and live and handle money with our hands and our hearts as a response to that. Should we pray together? And in the stillness, is there something that you feel that God might have been putting his finger on in your life or encouraging you with or freeing you up from or changing your heart. Even in the stillness now, you may like to simply ask God to help you to to kind of act that out. Come, Lord, we pray. Father, you know our hearts. And you know in our hearts there's a whole mixture of stuff. And Lord, we're bowled over by your heart for us. That lavish love that you pour out on us. So Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts to more and more be for you. That we might treat lightly the things you give to us as gift. Even today, Lord, would we find a freedom in that. Lord, you know our circumstances and Lord, take away unnecessary guilt where that is. For those in the room who feel kind of overwhelmed by this, Lord, would you free? And Lord, in a minute as we come to share communion together, Father, would we see your enormous generosity to us, that heart for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.